to his left and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down. Wonderful try. We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Um, after that brilliant performance against New Zealand, maybe Ireland's best ever, some are saying. More and more people are saying, in fact. Um, where where did this uh, autumn form come from? I thought that Japan performance was also brilliant, but it was a lot of, it's only Japan. Japan didn't defend. But then we ran uh, New Zealand off their feet. So where did this all come from after what was like seen as a kind of turgid last two tournaments in autumn and then uh, most of the Six Nations up to before the England game. And before that. And before that, but in particular the last two, the autumn and the... I mean, I'm thinking of that Georgia game in particular being a real stink fest. Johnny Sexton immediately after... Uh, Johnny Sexton was asked this question in his post-match interview and to the effect of, how come all of a sudden you're playing like this? And he says, well... We've been trying to play like this for a while. And I think what he meant was the shape, uh, the 1-3-2-2, two, two, that sort of, that idea. Um, the way Ireland used both sides of, of the rook, the way that we go down the blind side in order to stretch the pitch, the way that we then use the width of the pitch. So there's there's been a few things. Where did the quality of it come from? I would have... If I have to pick a reason, it's because he's got a he's his team are pretty much all in form. Um, how does that happen? I don't know. Uh, his team are all capable of of carrying the ball. His team are all like they're they're all capable of beating tackles. So we went through the the move to of Porter across to Loosehead and the decision to drop Keane Healy rather than you know persevere with Keane and he's okay and he's okay. Um, Picking Keller over uh, Herring and going with that back row of Conan, Vanderfleer, and Doris. But there's been more judgment, a um, bit of serendipity, and a sort of a, a pointedness to what he's done. And Judgment in terms of he's he's kept players that have played well. Like Jack Conan now looks like a shoe-in at number eight. And Jack Conan only got picked for the England match because I think it was Peter O'Mahony and CJ Stander moved over. Peter I think Peter O'Mahony had to pull out. But I think Peter had I think O'Mahony had been picked for that match. So Conan came in late and then played really well and then got picked on the lines in the back of that and was playing well for Leinster. But he he's he's kept him in. Now you sort of go how much of a like how much of a decision was that? But he knew he wanted to get Doris back in and he went with Doris. Um, he's kept on Andy to play both sides. So I think there, there's been a bit of serendipity with Conan kind of coming into form, but like he's made a decision to to stay with them. And it looked like a real shame that CJ Stander was retiring. Like That looked like a big loss. Um, and then the, the sort of the, the determination 
I think it was the word I used, they basically told Josh Vanderfleer, like, carry it hard. And Josh was like, do whatever he's told to do. So if he was told to run around the pitch and make 30 tackles, um, soaking guys down and to run dummy lines, that's exactly what he'd do. And if he was told to accelerate into contact and to pump his legs in the tackle, he just went, yeah, I'll do that. Cause, but he's able to do it. And it means that one through eight, Ireland have ball-carrying threat and they're going forward. They also have good set-piece ability. And like that's, that's enough. That's a great place to start. He made some brave calls as well with bringing back James Lowe, who he dropped for the England game. And with bringing back James and Gibson Park as number nine, like nobody would have gone out to bat for JGP if he hadn't been picked, because mostly because he's a project player, but also because even at Leinster, he's not seen as like, oh, this fella's our outstanding number nine. Like, it's been back and forth with himself and Luke McGrath for since since JGP arrived in Leinster, and you know we've used him as a horses for courses selection, whereas now for Ireland he looks indispensable. Lowe had some you know poor defensive performances in the Six Nations, and that overshadowed the fact that going forward he was very good, and also that his left footed kicking game was very good. I think. And, you know, from four games, he finished third in the entire championship in terms of meters made as a runner. Third or fourth or something like that. Really high anyway. And then more or less the same in terms of kicking meters made. So, you know, a huge defensive option as a kicker. Huge defensive option as a carrier. But that, you know, he was exposed a couple of times and then it was... There was a bit of a, in my opinion anyway, like a bit of an overreaction to anything that happened on that side of the pitch was automatically James Lowe's fault. It wasn't always. So I thought that was a brave call to uh, select him. And he has, again, repaid that faith in spades. So Jerry Thorny on second captains made a bit of a kind of a defence of the actual Six Nations. He said we actually played quite well against Wales until the red card derailed us. The red card was very early. Yeah, it was 14 minutes. Well, we played well until half time, and then we sort of ran out of ran out of gas. <laughs> you know, we had a very satisfactory performance against Italy, which no one gets any credit for anyway, and then a very satisfactory performance against England. But what I, I don't see what I what I can't see the relationship back to the previous good whatever good performances is the quality of the passing from absolutely everybody in the team and the options and the speed at which it's done. So do you think that's down purely to like you're saying, your first reaction was to say it's the selections and the form of those selections? No. No, I can't figure that bit out at all. That's that's the... So if I had to pick one reason, that'd be why I'd say it. But it, I just... I can't... I can't see how that would make such an improvement. Ireland are so much better than they were against France last year. Yeah, which is... Uh, so Same year. March. It was February. February even. So nine months ago, and they're like a different team. Yeah, and obviously there's some personnel changes there, but it's not really the personnel. It's much more the same players producing. And, you know, it's not, it's not as though they've spent the last nine months together. They've had periods together. But 
a lot of the players, sorry, a number of the players were way at the lines over the summer, so it wasn't as though they were all practicing their chops at that stage. Uh, and, you know, against USA, they looked very slick and together, but the USA were just dreadful in that game. It wasn't a real contest. It was like it was like Ireland lining out against like the Southern Kings or something like that. Not pointless, but not a not an international test match. So then to come out and play even better against Japan, who are a proper side. Like we'd played, we'd played Japan in in uh, in early July. I think the third of July. I finished that one like thirty nine, thirty one. In in quite a, quite an interesting test match. So then to come back um, four months later and put 60 on them and only concede five was like, where did this come from? And then, as we said earlier, the game against New Zealand was to step up again. The game against New Zealand, uh, we had only two completed offloads uh, by comparison to something like 20 against Japan. Do you think there was a marked stylistic change then from what's happened uh, against Japan? Good question. You know, I wouldn't have said so. When um, I wouldn't have said so, I, I was at uh, both games and I thought that one was a continuation of the other. I didn't think we'd get as much go forward against New Zealand as we did against Japan because we're a physically bigger team than Japan, almost almost every number on the pitch, whereas that just didn't hold true for the, the All Blacks. So, and we didn't have it our own way physically against New Zealand, even though their media are saying that we really bossed the collisions like it wasn't anything like the dominance that we exerted over Japan, so it was, it was difficult. And I have I've rewatched both games, and um, like James Lowe completed like something like six offloads against Japan. There was an offload of him going up the middle, whackling the ball around near like a like a, a water polo player, <laughs> and um, and I think he did one or two, maybe one against New Zealand. So. I think that thrifty approach to offloading and contact is much more determined by the fact that like, the collisions were harder and we weren't dominating uh, in contacts. We weren't able to waggle our arms around in the air against, against New Zealand. And they read and they scrag you better. Um, there was one from Jack Conan in either half. So one, he made a break from a... He, he was on the blind side and Gibson Park hit him with a, a skip one or skip two pass off the back of a rook. And Jack Conan made that outside in run and he tried to offload it to Gibbo and Gibbo oh, got yeah, tackled yeah, yeah. at the same time and knocked it on. And then there was another one where Conan took it in the second half going left to right underneath the West Stand. And Akira Ioani oh, yes. scragged him yeah, yeah. and Conan sort of dragged him, but he, he couldn't he couldn't ever really get comfortable to get an offload, and he he tried to get it away, and uh, he was he was very close to it, and the, just the, just the defenses. There's no room. Like the defense is better. The hitch is the hitch is so much harder. Um, I felt the discipline of the of the Schmidt era really stood to Ireland in the last. Oh, 20 minutes, 20, 20 minutes, certainly. Where we played an awful lot of one out rugby. But it wasn't it wasn't just one out rugby. Like we did we did try to move it on when we could, but our ability to play that one out, like it wasn't always going one out to the same person. It was just it was going one out different ways. It was going one out wide. It was with the threat of something else. Um and most of the players were knackered mm. at that stage. It was 
it was a good, fast, hard test match. Like the so the standard of the tackling throughout was pretty, really, pretty impressive. The Kiwis tackling in the first half, like it's it's actually always like that. The Kiwis are so hard to score tries against. If you recall, like any time we played them, apart from apart from the uh, apart from the twenty sixteen game in Chicago, their goal line D is always just like. St- Staggeringly good. This one was no change. Watching the match on sort of the recording, so I haven't been at it. I was lucky enough to be at it, and I, I, th- I certainly thought watching the recording. I may have thought the same that um, is Eddie O'Sullivan was the best at best dressed picking <laughs> um, best dressed for like minor additions. <laughs> Um, at picking moves to target the All Blacks and for scoring tries for further out, and obviously Ireland scored in 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 more matches, but they're they're just hard to score against. Eddie was like he he coached a few teams, sorry he coached teams that went down and scored tries in New Zealand against New Zealand, mm-hmm. but but couldn't hold on. But like he he and he he talked about them subsequently, and like possibly an off the ball or not not off the ball uh, against the head and uh, like they had they had the video clips of what they were trying to do and what he was targeting um, but they really are like they're so hard to score against and obviously like the Joe Schmidt like the, the Stockdale try was very well designed mm. and then there was there was other plays but I think as you said like in 2016 they were, they were giving up tries uh, in the first, half. In the first yeah. half and you go back to it's been a feature of the game since certainly 2015, uh, watching it and counting up the stats, how many tackles second rows in particular make. And a lot of it is probably due to where they defend around the rook and that they defend close in, but not as close as the props. And somebody relayed to me that in the first half, New Zealand made, what was it, 150, 156 tackles, but their second rows had made like 16 and 17, which is like a good tally for a match. Mm-hmm. Neither of those guys played in Chicago. So like uh, that's a result from five years ago, but like it was a good all-black team. And, and, and those two guys are two of their best players. Like Brody Retallick's the World Player of the Year and Sam Whitelock's won the World Cup twice. Mm. All that being said, it very easily could have been a win for New Zealand. It was a very, very tight call on, it was probably a forward pass, but one that could have easily have been, you know, given as inconclusive because the try was already given on the pitch. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, where, where does does that affect how you would like rank it in the big pantheon of uh, Irish games? It's like, we no, very no. Ne- quite, quite nearly lost it as I well. Don't think, I don't think you bring in the cut of water shoulders into how you rank the games. Just don't. I don't think it's it. Like it's the actual result, the performance, and the result on the day. You know, because once you bring in things that might have happened, or that did happen, and then were disallowed, you're sort of influenced a little bit by recency bias as well. Because you don't always remember the things that were disallowed in a game, say against 2007 against England, mm-hmm. which was another you know huge game for us. I was going through my head and like, what games did I think were better? I. Beating them in Chicago in 2016 because it was the first one and we scored like 40, 41 points or something, 40 points, was was amazing. Um, but we also scored 30. We were like 30 points to eight up. And like we got, you know, we were reeled right back in. Um, 
and we were talking earlier just off off camera about uh, the World Cup 2015 win against France in Garda Farms Park, which was amazing. But I think this one was like Ireland's best ever rugby performance. Dunny made the point to me about like how good we played and how much of the match we owned. But for the fact that that pass, which is marginally forward, had been given, like New Zealand probably would have run with, and just there, like New Zealand's ability to uh, attack space, but like their ability to handle, their ability to to attack with pace is breathtaking, and it, it's why they get such a a, a huge reception. Um, like South Africa, very difficult to beat. England are very difficult to beat. France are very difficult to beat. But there's a there's a kind of a reverence for New Zealand um, because they have that entertaining ability. So if if you will, so even I was thinking about the the Yuani non try, the Rico to Akira non try, and the fact that when New Zealand attack in the twenty two. Like they move it to like they and they move it like they, it's a proper pass rather than just a, like a, a dig off the bottom and they move it two spaces away and they move it quick and they've got runners in play and he doesn't get a hand okay grant it was it was four but as I say like on another day that gets given um, whereas we were in the twenty two for so long and we couldn't score and we talked about Ireland and Leinster and how Ireland and Leinster play and like I. I Certainly against Japan, like Ireland played with more ambition. I think playing against the All Blacks, Ireland played with more ambition than Leinster have done. Like the fact that Leinster scored last season, last two seasons in particular, an incredible amount of tries percentage wise from the just. The post challenge. <laughs> Someone's knocking at your door. Oh, Someone's ringing the bell. Just boshing Breaking it phases. over for like five phases. And it's so boring to watch, and you know it's going to happen. And you're like, well, there's another try from five meters out. And oh, another one from Michael Bent. Yes. Another one. Yeah, Scott Penny's, the Scott Penny special. And like, they all count. But um, New Zealand could have won it. Where, where, so, like, why does that make it? I don't know. I don't know why I'm using that to answer the question that you asked. Um, other than I think the point in that one is that. They were like it was a really good New Zealand team. They seem to be having a moment of national crisis though. When now that they've lost this game, or is that just every time they lose a game that they have? Yeah, this? They, don't, they don't. They don't lose many games. You know, they really lose so few games. Occasionally, they lose to the Springboks away in uh, South Africa, which is sort of like seen as refreshing the rivalry. And they tend to lose or come close to losing to. England. So, yeah, so, yeah, I, I mean, I guess assess the state of New Zealand then. Uh, we played them off the park, but they still have the ability to play like counter-punchers. And then at the end of the game, when we were watching it in the, in, the, in the public house, we were discussing, hey, like, they'll just go, like, they'll play basketball, rugby now, they'll, they'll throw everything. And their skills eventually sort of deserted them a few too many times. But again, like, the big James Lowe... Tackle in the middle was another huge. another opening, a huge bust. Yeah. Like you can see them running in underneath the sticks from forty yards. So um, I don't know. I, I just like. Do you think that there is an element of truth to like the self-flagellating Kiwis being like you know our 
our front five isn't big anymore, big enough anymore. We don't keep the ball enough anymore. Or when the when there's a rush defense, we don't know how to cope. Or do you think we need to give ourselves? Do do I need to give Ireland a bit more credit, which I'm being stingy on at the moment? I think you need to give Ireland a bit. more I think credit. you need to give Ireland a bit more credit. More to the point was, I can't believe the lag. And we talked about this a few years ago, of how long it took for New Zealand to feel the effect of Richie McCaw, Mayalamu, Conrad Smith, Carter, Mananu, Mananu, Tony Woodcock, all coming off the team at different stages, but particularly John after Kyle. 2015. Like, yeah, like the, the 2015 New Zealand team, and there's been a lot of good New Zealand teams. The 2015 New Zealand team was, was probably the best one. I would say the best one. Of my time. Yeah. Watching. And there's been a lot of good teams. And they seem to get better after that. And you like you question yourself how, but I think finally the impact of the McCaw mentality has gone. Like and they don't turn out players like McCaw no, every five years or every six years. Like McCaw is McCaw's possibly the best player ever. Ah, he is the best player ever. It's it's just hard to argue, like not having seen stuff back in nineteen oh three, or not even see, having seen stuff in the seventies. But certainly of my time watching, which would go back to the uh, late eighties, he is the best player I've ever it's seen. A very considered viewpoint. I would just say he's the best player ever. Yeah. With, against that, like Dan Carter was like probably the second best player ever. But Bowden Barrett is like a two-time World Player of the Year, like an amazing replacement for him. And, you know, you look at that front five and I think, like, Sam Whitelock is still there. Not as old as you would think. I know that Brody Retallick is only 30. Brody Retallick is not old enough to be any of our dads. I, <laughs> I, think, I think my issue is, is that they don't have the same galvanizing force to get relentlessly better and relentlessly better and relentlessly concentrated that they had when McCall was there and when Carter was was also there. Yeah. And there was a there was a documentary about them in Steve Hansen's kind of second to last season that was on Amazon. And I thought that there'd be a huge amount of talk from all the players. But it wasn't like it was pretty much Hansen given out to them for like not knowing the names of the Argentinian subs. I'm, I'm exaggerating there for effect, but like Hansen wanted to know who'd done their homework on the Argentinians the Monday, the Monday after they played South Africa. Mm-hmm. And like four guys put up their hands. Like, you know, Kieran Reid knew all of the subs. Um, Ryan Crotty, oh, White Lock. Should have guessed Ryan Crotty. And Sam Kane. You know, and like the rest of them are kind of looking around going, do you know? Like, I mean, the Barretts had learned two each, you know, like, and it's going, oh, we can cover it. Um, but they, it, it was, it was Hanson driven. Yeah, I don't know where, like, I look at that, I look at that team and I go, like, Joe Moody's a very, like, I think, I think the loose head. The, Their tight five is good. Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's always, like, Carl Tuna, Tuna Faki is like freakishly strong. Car pushing giant lad with a huge mustache, like he's he's not a fake, you know, he's good. Like I think I think that Ethan Blackadder is is very like his dad. Uh, in the slightly like New Zealanders do turn out these guys like the like the older White Lock brother who used to play blindside. 
Like he's just like he's a really good rugby player. He could still play him when he's forty, but like I think they just like they used to have Jerome Coyne, you know, possibly the best blindside of the of the pro era. So it's just hard to live against in the, in the shadow of those guys or compare yourself against them. Like Dalton Papali played made like almost thirty tackles, made a great run for their first try, but like comparing them with. You know, McCall, Michael Jones, and everything like that. Kieran, so, Re- Kieran Reid. Kieran yeah. Reid. You know, it's, it's, it's a tough scene. I, I, the, the player who surprised me most and I was most disappointed by in a way was Rico Ioanni, who I thought was, I know he contributed to the second try. Uh, I felt that I actually forgot that it was him throughout the match. Like, I, he just didn't seem to get on the ball that frequently or even to look that much of a threat. So I was really surprised by that. I, I thought I thought that he's a, uh, acclimated really well to outside centre, and it just didn't work out for him. Okay, well let's talk about the game management then of both teams. Uh, Ireland kicked to the corner with twenty five seconds left at the end of the first half, but throughout the first half turned down points, and they ended up going in five ten down, having dominated the first half. So there's a kind of there's some talk that you know constant kicking into the corner and putting pressure on the All Blacks because we eventually won the game was a good thing but in reality we just turned down loads of points and then at the end of the game the Kiwis took points after the disallowed try and then you sort of think they were down the 22 for one of the only times they are down the 22 should they have stayed there and gone for taking a scrum tried to score off it but we all you were always saying take your points so Sam Whitelock was right to take his points and back his team to get back down there? I'd say, yeah. And what about the first half in Ireland? Should have taken their points. Like, I'm I'm very cut and dried about this. I And sometimes you're proven wrong. Sometimes the team scores from the penalty, but I just keep the scoreboard ticking. Well, most importantly, we closed out the game by keeping, keeping the scoreboard ticking. Yeah. We scored four penalties in a row at the end. Yeah. Also, the, like not taking a kick a goal with 25 seconds on the clock at the end of the first half. Personally, I think that is indefensible. I think to, to go back, so you're talking about game management. And then we, your first question about where did the performances come from. And Gary Keegan's name has got mentioned very fleetingly in dispatches. So one of the findings of the, the review of the 2019 World Cup was that the team got psychologically stiff. To, I don't know if that's an exact, it's probably not an exact quote, but like, and that they had to manage. And what's his name? McNulty was involved with that team. So you're kind of going, well, like, they had considered it. Like, that they, they had somebody in if, doing exactly that role. But very notable how Jack Conan was coming out going, oh, look, just because you win, winning makes you soft. And so many of the players are playing well. And what, so what brought that to mind was Ringrose's kicking was good. Hugo Keenan's kicking was good. And a lot of stuff seems to be going right for the players. And maybe that's just a big wave of confidence. Like, uh, it's very difficult to attribute exactly these guys are kicking because some guy is in the camp who's looking after the psychology. Again, to, to emphasize, this isn't a new departure. So, like, why is it working now and it didn't work then? Um I think Farrell's put a big emphasis on making people feel good in the camp. He mentioned that in an interview 
about um he mentioned Peter Matney by name about a player who makes people feel good. He says, you know, in the in the dressing room, on the training pitch, around the dinner table, you know, there's value in a, in a player who makes other people feel good. Maybe he's not the flashiest player ever. And he he mentioned Peter Matney by name, the only person he mentioned. Now it's difficult to imagine like Peter Matney making people feel good. Like it's you would think that that's more of a like a joking, jovial type of personality, but it's more I think his effect on other people. Uh, which is, you know, that he's a more of a charismatic and inspiring character as a as a as a player at, at this stage of his career, rather than um, his his value is more as a leader than as a player. That is, um, and I, I the the team do look. I think Andy Farrell has put a lot of effort into making them f- feel good about themselves and feel positive about playing this team and building a team spirit. And uh, and I think that is in reaction to probably what he saw in Schmidt's last year when Joe was probably holding on a bit too tight and probably the senior players were holding on too tight and also didn't do enough. I'd, I'd say even longer than Schmidt's because it, because it was successful. I don't think that... So the tightness thing definitely came after 2018 and beating the All Black and going to number one. But I think that the approach that Ireland had after Brian O'Driscoll was was far more conservative. And I think it was because... And Shane Horgan would make a a big point of saying that every every Ireland play had two or three options, but it, it certainly had like a low risk and a higher a higher risk. Well, it would have to be that sort of split. But and players had the ability to choose between them. But you got the impression that more and more and more they chose the low risk version because they get given out to from choosing the high risk version. And it got it just it got safer and safer to choose the low risk version. Whereas Farrell seems to be more forgiving about going with the high risk version. But it it's still hard to reconcile exactly why they're so much better because they were trying like they've been trying to play the same stuff under um, under Mike Cat and Andy Farrell for like for for quite a bit now for quite a few matches and and they haven't been able to do it and like the last twenty minutes was, was pretty much pure Schmidt ball in in terms of like one out really efficient rooking moving like it was it was pure it was pretty pure Joe Schmidt stuff and um, it's just, it's, just, it's really hard to put a finger on the transition. You know, if we we're shorn of uh, Sexton is the most obvious part of the puzzle that's going to be missing against Argentina next mm. week. Um, who else do you think will come in and what uh, what effects do you think that will have on the style of play or is the style going to be fairly, you know, it's a kind of, it's it's a seamless thing that this group of players is, is capable of playing? Brackets withering look across the microphone. No, like I don't. I don't think that you can make like twelve changes and play your everyone who was in the camp and who hasn't already played against Argentina. And I also don't think that you can play as well with uh, with all those changes in the team. Both for uh, the fact that the players coming in aren't as good at playing that type of rugby, and secondly because they haven't played that much together. 
So I don't think, my, my personal feeling is that there's issues, there's depth issues in a few positions. I would say the three obvious ones are out half, fullback because Hugo Keane has played 14 or 15 in a row, and tight head, uh, and you could possibly add in second row. So I think that that's where you, you like we have to change Johnny now. So they're going to pick, Andy Farrell will pick Joey at 10. Um, tight head, I, I think that's, like I would, I would personally go with, with Tom O'Toole. I think it's a huge test for him. But if he plays well, then he gets the number eighteen jersey for the Six Nations. And if he doesn't, Finley Beatham keeps the number eighteen jersey. Our three tight heads are going to go to the World Cup in, in twenty twenty three anyway. So we need all three. And then, like second row is sort of like we have three really good second rows, and then there's a big gap. So it's like, it would be much better if we had four really good second rows. So I think those are the only things I would look at. Like, I wouldn't be changing. I want to see Coombs. Like, Coombs is unfortunate. He's been sick for two weeks out of this. I just think it's just tough luck. You know, um, Balakum, I'd like to see him play, but Conway has been brilliant. Lowe's been brilliant. You know, he's all this, oh, I want to see, like, you want to, it's like, Certain people want to see changes in every position. I just think it's not going to happen. I actually think depth is a bit of a windmill. It's a bit of, there's a certain point that you need to have, but you're not going to make players better than they are by picking them at an international level. Like there's certain players who are going to be pretty ready for it, and that's when you pick them. You don't. I'm I'm different. I'd them. I'd like to see Coombs. I'd like to see Balakun because. Um, not that we're poorly served in those positions, but Balakun in particular, he does. He, he's he's able to run. He's able to do stuff that no one else in Irish rugby is able to do, um, and like no one else in Irish rugby has has been able to do. So like Dennis Hickey was very very quick, athletically sort of straight line. Simon Gagan was an extremely exciting runner when he got the ball, but Balak like Balakun's pace is funny it's like it's it's funny watching him to to think that he's playing against pro athletes and watching Wales play with Lewis Rizamit last year oh. and you just think to yourself my goodness like we don't have anybody like this and then you go actually we've got Balakun he's just injured at the moment like what would what would it be like to have somebody where when he got the ball he might just score from 80 meters with with nothing on Whereas you think of the workmanlike way that we have to grind our way up to the twenty-two, and we have to play a certain way I wouldn't say against. Okay, so workmanlike is a poor, a poor choice, but it like it's there's no quicksilver to it. it it's very well organized. It's very slick. It's it's a great team, but the athleticism that New Zealand like when Will Jordan gets the ball, it's frightening. Um, and the thought of having Balakun in the pitch and getting the ball just outside R22 and you just laugh and go, and he's got to score here. Like he's, he's got to smoke somebody and then it's going to be funny how he sits down there fullback. Um, so I'd like to see him. And I'd like to see Coombs because I was very impressed with him during the summertime. And again, Jack Cohn has been playing very well, but it's really just, I'd like to see the upside of Coombs. And after that, I'd be... James Ryan is going to be captain. Um, by the look of things, I I would have had him 
just rotated. I would have liked to see Henderson and Ty Byrne, oh, mainly for the fact that Henderson needs the games and I think would benefit from like as much of a full game and Ty Byrne has played very well. I sort of accept, you know, is he heavy enough? And I'd like to see Tom O'Toole to give Furlong a break. And I don't, I don't, Tom O'Toole's got a higher ceiling. I don't even know if he has a higher ceiling. He potentially has a higher ceiling than Finley Bina. So I think he does have a higher ceiling. Yeah. yeah. But I think Marty much... Moore, I think Marty Moore is the second best side hit. Marty Moore would be my chess. I like I, I can't understand why he's not in the panel. I Nor would, can I, to be honest. I Nor would, can I. I would have him. He'd be my second choice side hit. What colour would you make his Leah third? White or blue? <laughs> Marty should wear a, like a big wrestling singlet under his under his jersey. One of those one sided ones though. <laughs> <laughs> Given all we've said about uh, Ireland's uh, very productive autumn so far, what, what do you think we can expect from the 2022 test? And I know that's a lot of forecasting to be doing, but uh, we've got um, what we've got Scotland, Wales, and Italy at home. Uh, we're going to see the two bigger countries away from home in the Six Nations, and we've got this three-test tour to New Zealand. I mean. Are expectations so raised now that we're thinking this could be a championship or what? Yeah, yeah, like the, they should be raised. Um, it's an extreme. It's as tough. A, it's as tough a, a schedule as you can get. It like given the Six Nations and then a three a three test tour in New Zealand is incredibly tough. But that will uh, stand to the team. I understand that. Uh, Farrell is looking at this series of games as as a series. You know, he's looking at them like like the knockouts that you would play in in a, in a rugby World Cup in a tournament setting and just going back to back to back. So that's even tougher against New Zealand, and that'll that'll be one that really tests our depth. You know, having Scotland, Wales, and Italy at home to me is uh, probably three wins. In the bag, um, if, because I said in the bag, that makes me sound like a bit of a prick. But it's probably three wins with home advantage. The other, we could win either of the other two games or both of them, and we could lose both of them. You know, we, we could end up with the, the three from five. I'd be dis- very disappointed with anything less than that. Probably quite disappointed with only three from five. Uh, but like winning five from five, winning those two big games away from home. It's also a fucking massive ask. Don't know if that's viable. Um, but we're playing. We're just playing. We just played so well, and I don't see any reason why we would clinch up or fall off a cliff. But then I didn't see any reason why we do that in November twenty eighteen either. Yeah. So is it a case of things can only continue to improve at the rate they're improving? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> Like the, to me, the big, the biggest question about next week in particular is how does Carberry play? Oh, 100 percent. Because he's the one uh, upon whom so much is going to rest. He's clearly shown he's still a very, very good goal kicker, um, but he had very little impact on the rest of the game when he came on. Yeah, he was on for 16 minutes. So it was, it was actually a little less than I thought. I thought he came on around the 60 minute mark. It was 64. He kicked three goals. Two of them were right in front of the sticks. You could have thrown them over with your bad hand. Missed a lot of tackles. 
didn't really get on the ball that much one time. The one I remember is I'm sort of running into Andrew Conway and giving him the ball. Another one he moved right out. I think, I think he only really involved the back line in, you know, twice in 16 minutes. I, so, you know, the the long-range goal kick was amazing. I just didn't see it, him having it that in him. It was amazing. So I'm, I'm sort of I'm not excited about seeing him play, I have to admit. I think his defence has really deteriorated in his long time away from the game and since his return. So I think... Um, I think it's an easy place to attack if you're Argentina. It's just look look for Garby and run them. So after we beat New Zealand in 2018, we played we played America the following week, and pretty much completely changed the team. In fact, looking through, you give Billy Holland the cap. Everybody got changed. Every single one of the 15 got changed, and. Second rows I had starting was Byrne and Henderson, but I think yeah, Pity Holland probably came on in that match. Um, Ireland won fifty-seven fourteen. Whereas, did they play Argentina though at the end of that series? Before that series, oh, before. So the week okay. before they beat Argentina twenty-eight seventeen. The week before, with the same pack that played against New Zealand. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Henderson started against Argentina. Toner started against New Zealand, and. Shawnee, Jesus. Shawnee started against Argentina and Josh started against New Zealand. This one is like it's kind of after the Lord Mayor's show, isn't it? Like, you know, what, what do you do if you're if you're in Ireland? Like you're walking around on a high, but how do you get up to Argentina's biggest problem is they're not used to winning. Um they've had a pretty poor year. They've, they've just been beaten so often. So they beat the Italians last week and, you know, it's near the end of their tour. They often look tired coming to Ireland. Mm, at, they at tend the to end play of, us late in November. They, 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 they tend to play us in the last match and it's the last stop off before going home. And, and they just... It's been a long time since they've produced an 80-minute performance over here. That There was one or two matches back when Felipe was playing and they had that pack... That pack, that you know, Ledesma, Roncero, and all those sort of guys. Square, they, it, it was a battle. Like I, there, there, there did seem to be very little love lost. Whereas recently, they don't seem to have been able to put together eighty minutes, and they're just used to losing. And I think Ireland, Ireland are playing so well, and they'd be so full of confidence. Um, it could. I hope that Joey Carberry plays really well. But part of me also hopes that if he's not playing really well, Ross Bur- or Harry Byrne gets more Freudian minutes. Freudian slip. Yeah, well, Freud- yeah. Well, yeah. Um, Harry Byrne gets more minutes and comes on and does play really well and starts up a genuine battle for that number two. Um, so <laughs> on my Freudian slip... And, Last, last, it's it's hard to know with the COVID, but I remember talking about Jack Conan quite extensively in one or two podcasts and just how, what an interesting player that he was um, because he, he slipped had gone. So the, the, the guy who'd owned that Leinster number eight jersey for the guts of a decade wasn't there anymore. Darius and Deegan, and I thought Deegan was going to be the main man at number eight, were coming up, but, but, but Conan was the man in possession, having never really been in possession of anything. Not the Leinster number eight, not the Ireland number eight, although he'd, he'd obviously 
showed his athletic ability, his rugby ability, that it could have gone either way for him. And you're kind of going, like, Jack, if he concentrates on the things that he's really good at, which is ball carrying and tackling, um, and makes himself something of a line-out option, has enough with that to shine for, like, two or three seasons. Or he could be Leinster's third-choice number eight. Playing, like... Eight matches a season, starting eight matches in the season, coming on, and so that was then. And for Jack Conan, it's gone really, really well. Whereas now, I think the most interesting player in terms of narrative is Ross Byrne, in that he could end up behind his little brother and behind a, uh, a first centre, come fullback, come out half, and Kieran Frawley and never overtaken Johnny Sexton, or he could end up Ireland's out half of the World Cup. And the, the reason I say that is like he's, 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 he's compiled this body of work, which is better than everybody else bar Sexton, of the starting out halves in Ireland, um, and no one misses him. And like he doesn't get injured. He's not in the squad, he doesn't get injured, he's the best domestic place kicker, arguably. Like maybe Ben Healy is a better domestic place kicker, but like... If I had to choose, I would let Ross take my kicks. And he's always been a guy who struggled to step up, and yet he's always bounced back and step up. And, like, Jesus, I'm not a massive fan of Ross over the course of time, but, like, the guy's durability really, really impresses me. And his... So it's not that I think that he's hard done by. I just think he's a really interesting... He's in a really interesting place in his career, uh, he's not in the conversation at all. Like, he's he's just not. We didn't mention him at all last week in the conversation. But um, let's see how it goes. 